Oh Lord, our God, we ask you now to teach us from your word. Teach us that you love us. And grant us grace and strength. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, we continue with the Sermon on the Mount. You can turn to page 854 in your pew Bible. We'll wrap up chapter 6 today. Worry is a horrible thing. It really is. Someone once said, probably have heard something like this, that worry is like paying interest on a loan that you don't even have, that you haven't even taken out the loan, but you're paying interest on it. And it's easy for us to worry. Some of us are more prone to that particular sin than others. And some of us seem to be fairly carefree, almost uh, flippant with regard to the serious things in life. But all of us at times, particularly as we do grow older, and we realize that life is truly deadly serious, that it's not all fun and games, that we realize maybe I should be concerned about that particular thing. And what this passage here in uh, the end of Matthew 6, starting in verse 25, is telling us basically is um, not like that silly song from the 80s, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Remember that silly, silly song? Outside of the fact that it was just not very good musically. It was just a, a silly, silly song. I don't think I ever listened to the whole thing all the way through, and I don't advise you to do so either, unless you need a really good laugh. Because the Bible doesn't tell us, don't worry, just be happy. The Bible tells us, don't worry, trust God. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. And the real issue at hand in this passage is our faith or our lack of it. Let's think about it. When you're worried about something, what's really going on? You're so focused on the circumstance, and it may be a very serious circumstance. You're so focused on the circumstance that your eyes are not looking to the God who can take care of that circumstance. Think of insurance. I never ask you to raise your hands, but I'm going to today. How many of you have some type of insurance? You all better raise your hands. I've told some of you, I'm an insurance salesperson's dream. An absolute lay-down customer. If you have the product, I'll probably buy it. Because when I was 19, I got a lecture from someone who's important to me. And it hit me so hard that I realized, wow, you really can't have enough insurance in this life, can you? And I was 19 at the time, and of course... Well, I was wise, and I didn't know everything, but I knew most things. But then this fellow, who was far advanced in me, and I realized, okay, he's, he's got a lot of marbles in a row here. When he gave me that lecture, I realized, maybe I should think of that. Because I had done something very silly at that time. I got caught driving without car insurance in New Jersey which is not the brightest thing that anybody can do, particularly a 19-year-old with a 71 Monte Carlo that you just can't miss. And he told me, that was one of the dumbest things you could ever have done. 
I wasn't really expecting a lecture at that point. I was expecting some comfort, maybe some milk and cookies to, to assuage my fear. But he didn't. He said, you can't have enough insurance in this world. And he gave me a number of examples why. And ever since then, and my wife can attest to this, when an insurance salesman comes knocking, she tries to make sure I'm busy because I'll probably buy the stuff because I'm so nervous that I'm going to get caught without enough insurance. But I was thinking this week, what is insurance really? I mean, really, what is it? Are we somehow acting unfaithfully towards God by buying insurance? Hmm, that's a, that's a deep discussion. I don't really think so. If you view it as a way of planning. But when we grow excessively worried about what might happen in the future, that's worry. And insurance is an interesting thing, isn't it? The same fellow told me. this is a, It's like making a bet that you don't want to win. And I remember thinking, well, that's a weird thing. Make a bet that you don't want to win. He says, yes, you pay money to these insurance companies and their bookies. And by the way, if you're in the insurance agency, um, this, this, isn't, this isn't a knock. He said, they take bets. And they're hoping that you never win. Because if you win, then that means something's gone wrong and you have to file a claim. And none of us really want something to go wrong, correct? We don't. We don't ever want to have to use the insurance policy. What this passage is telling us is that ultimately God, our Heavenly Father, is our insurance. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we believe that God is A, that concerned with us? B, is he able to actually take care of it? And C, am I willing to rely upon him? Now again, this is no cause for you to go out and cancel your life insurance or your health insurance. That would be silly. Certainly not your car insurance. But we need to take stock of where our hearts are. Because you see, this whole passage of the Sermon on the Mount... And I've read the Sermon on the Mount hundreds of times, but I've never preached through it. And by preaching through it, particularly going through the Lord's Prayer so slowly over a period of months, I realized, wow, our Lord really is a master preacher. He has put this all together in one one shot. And it all has one theme in chapter 6. One is you don't have to worry about the opinions of others because they're not God. All you have to be concerned about is God. Because his opinion of you is the only one that matters. And by the way, our Father, the covenantal God, our Father, if you're in his covenantal family, he's a good God. And because he loves you, that's one of the reasons you don't have to worry about what other people think. Because he thinks very highly of you because of who you are in Christ. And because of who you are in Christ, he will look after you. That's why he tells us uh, in the passage from last week not to lay up for ourselves treasures on earth. Remember, because when we lay ourselves up treasures on earth, what's going to happen to them? They will rust. They will disintegrate. Think about some of the things that mankind places a high value on. A diamond. They're pretty, aren't they, ladies? What is it, really? It's a rock. It's a rock, is it not? It's a rock. That's what we say. Oh, that's a nice rock. He got her a big rock. 
Generally speaking, rock isn't a real compliment. That's the only time I know, well, there's two times. Oh, he's as solid as a rock. That means he's, he's steady. And that's a big rock. I, there might be other instances, but usually when you say rock, it's not a compliment. He's as thick as a rock. Not as solid as a rock. You know. Like my grandfather used to say, the guy's got rocks in his head. I was a young man, but I realized, hmm, that's not a good thing. It's a piece of compressed carbon that the earth has just pushed down upon for X amount of years, and now it's kind of shiny. But I think when they pull them up from the mines, they don't quite look exactly like the rings on the fingers. They have to take them, cut them, polish them, and, and doll them up. And what is gold, really? It's a metal. It's a thing that you pull out of the ground. But it's shiny. All right? It's shiny. I want to challenge you on this. Objectively speaking, is gold any more valuable than anything else in the world? Aluminum, iron ore? It's still metal, correct? But it's shiny. It looks pretty, doesn't it? I mean, gold looks pretty. It looks very pretty. So we put a high price tag on it. See how silly human, human beings are. I could understand where a cow is worth much more value than, let's say, a squirrel. I could see that. There's some objective there. I can get some milk from it, a lot of steaks. It's objective. But a shiny rock or a shiny piece of metal? I mean, really, what is the big deal? So why hoard it up? Why, why stick it in your, in your safe deposit box? Because... Um, eventually it's going to turn to dust. So if we're not supposed to store up for ourselves treasures on earth, Jesus said last week, store for yourselves treasures on, in heaven where robbers can't get them, where thieves can't come in, and where nothing has an expiration date because it's where eternity is. And now if we're setting ourselves on heaven... Well, then we don't have to worry about earthly things. You see, it all just it flows together. It's just beautiful the way this is put together. And we see that. He says, therefore, do not I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, the clothes that you will wear. In verse 25, look at the birds of the air. Sounds like Job here. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Animals are nice. We're supposed to take care of animals. That's a commandment of God. It's part of the creational mandate from early chapters of Genesis. But listen to me, every single one of you, you're of more value than an animal. You're more valuable than the birds. You're more valuable than cows. More valuable than sharks. More valuable than your pets. You're a human being created in the image of God. Animals are not created in the image of God. They, they reveal his glory. I happen to think a Siberian white tiger reveals God's power in a way that nothing on God's green earth does. I just love the way they look. I love the way they run. I don't want to meet one in person, but I love the way they look on the Discovery Channel. They're just big, powerful, beautiful, fast cats. They look like they have no weakness whatsoever. Much prettier than a lion, I think. 
a great white shark. It's an amazing, amazing creature, isn't it? I, again, I don't particularly want to have an encounter with one, but you can appreciate the power of the thing, but you're of more value than them. Christ did not die for squirrels. He died for men and women, boys and girls. He died for his people. The blood of Christ is what shows your value. The blood of Christ stamps upon you, made for eternity. So if God takes care of birds, Jesus is saying, don't you think he's going to take care of you? Think of it this way. If you're a rich man and you take care of, a, and, you, and, and you're a good rich man, you take care of a bunch of, you create a bunch of charities for people who are downtrodden and who are less blessed than you. Do you think that you're also going to take care of your natural family? Your, maybe your five sons, if you had five sons, maybe? Let's say you had five sons and you were really, really rich. Do you think you'd take care of them? Maybe try and get them into a good college? See what they could do? Sure you would. From the lesser to the greater. Well, if I help strangers, of course I'm going to help my, my own boys. Of course I will. Or daughters, of course I'm going to help them. Also, that's what the Lord is saying here. If God's going to take care of these birds, he's going to take care of you. The question is, do we really think that? Think about the natural world. Animals don't worry, do they? They don't have, the, they don't have that reflection. They just move and eat and sleep. And then they wake up and they do the same thing over again. They move, they eat, and then they sleep. We have been given a different lot in life. We actually have to make choices. We actually have to think of things. And this is one of the unusual things about nature. Even though we are created in the image of God, even though we are the only ones with a moral conscience, we actually have to work at stuff. And squirrels just run around and grab nuts. We don't have it quite that easy. I'm not sure how long you can live on acorns. Minimal amount of nutrition. Or a predator. They have to work, but not like us. We have to think things through. How to can things, how to save things so that they don't go bad. No other creature but man has the ability or the necessity of doing those things. Oh, we do know that animals store up, but they really only store up for a short period of time, right? We have the ability to store Twinkies, which have a shelf life of probably 15 or 20 years. There are so much preservatives in those things, they're never going to go bad. You can just stash them on your... doesn't matter how long you live, those Twinkies will still be Twinkies. Not much nutrition, but a lot of calories. Long shelf life. Jesus is pointing out that the shelf life of a human being is eternity. Animals die, they return to dust. We die, our bodies go to the dust. Our spirits go to the next life. And there are two partitions to that life. Heaven and hell. It really is just that simple. And when Christ returns, everyone's body is resurrected and refashioned after his indestructible body and fit for the eternal home. 
Even unbelievers' bodies have to be resurrected and transformed and made ready for the rigors of punishment. That's scary. That's terrifying. But what Christ is getting at here is for those of us who have called upon God for His grace that the Heavenly Father has nothing but good things in store. Look what He says. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? I'm not going to grow any taller than I am. Just about 5'11". I wish I was 6'2", like my brother. Be nice, but I'm not. He could put me on a rack and stretch me. I'm never going to be 6'2". I may shrink a little bit as I get older. But you can't, you can't, no matter how many exercises you do as a young boy or girl, your height is predetermined. Your weight is a whole different topic, but your height is predetermined. You're either going to be six foot or five nine no matter what you do. You can't make yourself taller by worrying. So why do you worry about clothing, he says. And he says, consider the lilies of the field. These are just these are just flowers now. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon is a, was the richest man of his age. Solomon's an interesting example of someone who had everything the world had to offer and sadly pretty much bankrupt himself spiritually. The New Testament doesn't have many good things to say about Solomon. You hear that proverb, he's the wisest man that ever lived. Well, it's not really wise to get a couple thousand wives and a whole bunch of them are pagans and you erect pagan temples just to keep them happy. That's, that's the height of stupidity. He made a couple of very good decisions early on, but then he gave it all up. But he lived in palaces. The scriptures tell us something very interesting about Solomon. You have to read it very carefully in the book of Kings. It gives how much time he spent building the temple of God and how much time he spent building his house. Just take a wild guess as to which one the scriptures tell us he spent more time on. His own house. He spent more time and money on his own house than he did the temple of God. That's a bad move. It doesn't show a lot of wisdom. But God is, Jesus is saying, and Jesus is God, he's saying, look, if Solomon was arrayed like that and the, the lilies of the field are dressed better than him, verse 30, now if God so clothes the grass of the field, now we're going even lower, grass isn't all that glorious, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? And here's the crux of this passage, O oh, you of little faith. This is the challenge for us. Do we believe not just that God will get us to heaven? Not that Christ just died for us to get us fire insurance, but that he's actually going to look after us here and now. For however many days we've been allotted, is he going to see us through? Yes, the answer is yes. Will that always be easy? No. Will he throw things our way that we think we may not ever be able to handle? Yes. Will some Christians in this life know nothing but heartache? Yes. 
Well, some Christians in this life know nothing but poverty. Crushing poverty. Yes. But he will still see them through. And for those of us, no matter what our lot in life is, those of us who have been born here and have a fairly decent amount of the world's goods, owe us a little faith. You see, if you don't have a refrigerator, you really do have to trust God for your daily bread. Remember what Jesus told us, how he told us to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. Daily bread. Don't give me a 10-year supply, Lord. Daily bread. And back then, you needed your daily bread. And you, we need to understand that we have Christian brothers and sisters who live day to day. I mean, literally, day by day, they wake up and they don't know if they're going to have a meal. You know what you're going to eat today, don't you? Maybe not exactly, but you know that you will. And that's a blessing. It's a gift. And we should not take it lightly. Think of what he's provided for us. How could we doubt him? Think about it. Do you have a roof over your head? Hmm? Somehow you got here? How many times have I told you this in 10 years? I'm going to keep telling you. You you have food in your refrigerators. Many of us eat too much, much less too little. That's That's a gift. How can we doubt him? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. The word Gentile is very easy to understand. It's a non-Jew. In this context, Jesus is talking to Old Covenant believers. Jesus was still under the Old Covenant. People forget that. He was under the Old Covenant law. He was not allowed to eat pork. If you're going to have uh, pork tenderloin for, for lunch today, fantastic. Jesus had never passed his lips. He was under the old covenant. He never had shrimp. Ever. Never had bacon. Ever. He was under the old covenant. We are in covenant with God now. 2,000 years ago, our forefathers were not. They weren't in covenant with God. We are through the blood of Christ. The new covenant has opened up so that people as far as Tanzania all the way to the other side of the world are in covenant with the living God. So these verses apply to us now. After these things, we can insert, very legitimately, the unbelievers seek. In other words, the unbeliever who is not in covenant with God is scrambling around, worrying about all this stuff, trying to accrue all this stuff, and he says, but your Heavenly Father knows that you need these things. In other words, remember I told you months ago, our Father who art in heaven, that that's a covenantal prayer, that unbelievers, when they say it, God is not listening because he is their creator, but he is not their Father. Father is a covenantal term. Every human being that's ever existed owes God allegiance as their creator. We, as Christians, owe him a double allegiance. He's not only our creator, he's our covenantal redeemer. 
He has purchased our life from the pit. He has bought us back into the family. And then Jesus tells us what we're to do. Because our Heavenly Father knows that we need these things, we should seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You see how he wraps it up with his day thing. Give us this day our daily bread. In other words, today's troubles are enough. Don't worry about tomorrow, because it will get here quick enough. You have enough trouble today to deal with. That's why God gave us Sundays, a day of rest. And you know what? A lot of us spend our Sundays worrying about Monday and Tuesday and worrying about last Saturday and last Wednesday. When this is to be a day when we are to just rest, to forget about the trials of this world and worship God in His spirit of holiness and to place our thoughts on Him and on heaven for one very simple reason. God built us. He knows that we need it. You need rest. Have you ever gone a few nights without much sleep? Some of us have. It's it's not all that fun, is it? Go go for a whole week with just two hours sleep a night. At the end of that seven days, you're probably going to be a little on edge and probably not incredibly pleasant to be around because you're just tired. You ever realize how many silly things and mistakes we make just when we're physically tired? easy. God built you. He knows that you can only handle six days. Seven days is simply too much. It's just too much. Oh, we have little faith. Do we not believe that God knows better than we do? Do we not believe that God will take care of us? Look back on your life and all the hard times that some of you have gone through. Did he get you through them? Obviously, because you're here now. And there might be harder times in the future. I can't, I can't give you syrup. I can't. I don't know what tests are coming when we walk through those doors. I don't know. Very, very hard times might be here next week. But next week isn't here yet. Jesus is telling us, just focus on now. Because it's rough enough now. And he's telling us that the Father will get us through today and tomorrow and the day after that because he loves us. And what we are to do is to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Now think about that. That's the essence, that's the command of this passage. To seek God. To seek His ways. I almost said to seek new lives and new civilizations. Um, I don't don't know why I almost said that. Um, Starting to sound like uh, William Shatner at the beginning of the old Star Trek. But we are to seek His kingdom. We're to seek His righteousness. In other words, not the world. Because what the world has to offer is stuff that will rot and spoil. And if all you have is stuff that you know, listen carefully, 
if all you have is a house full of stuff that you know is going to rot and spoil within a day, what are you going to do? You're going to go to the store and buy new stuff, will you not? If you know tomorrow is the day when it's all just going to turn rotten, you have to go out and go shopping again, correct? But if you have in your house stuff that has no expiration date, you're not going to worry about going shopping. And this is the essence of this whole chapter. Focus on eternity. Seek God's kingdom. Seek his ways out. And when we do that, our faith will be strengthened. See, if we chase after the things of this world, our faith will be weak, and we will grow more and more worried about the things of this world, which, as I said, will spoil and turn to dust. Don't waste your time on it. You're worth more than sparrows, lilies, and the grass of the field. Have faith. Seek God. And he will take care of your needs. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask that you would strengthen our faith and help us to seek after your kingdom and your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.